Hello, listeners. I just wanted to drop in really quick to let you all know that we had a little bit of a audio problems at the beginning of recording of this. There will be a moment when all of a sudden Shag will come in much clearer. So just hang in there and don't be surprised when all of a sudden you can hear him much better. The power to stop the rain. You're about to strafe the stratosphere, obsessed with ending the long bloody reign of King Nemesis. Suddenly, that heap of rancid royalty horde of henchmen swoops down out of a nebula, spraying you with lethal molecular bursts. You grit your teeth, clenched the controls of your pressure-cooking starfighter, the Proteus 911, and power up its arsenal of land-blasting lasers and dual devices of destruction. But wait! A barrage of Enertron bullets streak towards you! With lightning reflexes, you fire your mulling missiles as you hurled into yet another level of terror. Your last hope is to double your firepower and create a duplicate starfighter with the ship-cloning option. What will be your fate? Bonus levels or oblivion? Ultra Games. Welcome, dear listener, to our podcast. Jeff and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer. Analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. I am Rick. And I'm the Irredeemable Shag. I'm the trouble starter, pumpkin instigator. I'm the fear addicted, a danger illustrated. I'm a random banter. Twisted random banter. You're a random banter. Twisted random banter. Random banter time, my buddies. Tell me tantalizing tales and tidbits of trivia together in tandem. It sounds familiar. Shag, do you know what that's from at all? Not even a little bit. It sounds British. Yes. It sounds a little punk. Yes. Ah, uh, Sex Pistols? No. Okay, then that's then that's that's about it. The Clash? No. Prodigy? Does that give you any hand? Um, mm. Little uh, Captain America shirt and skater shorts and piercings and uh, a faux kind of a dual faux hawk. No, no. Firestarter by Prodigy. Okay. Nice. Okay. All right. All right. Good pull. Good pull. I right. I am I am not up to my prodigy. I no. have stumped the judges. See, we saved all the prodigy stuff for our children. We're, we yeah. gave up. We're not prodigies <laughs> at all. Yeah. Yeah, well, I listen to uh, Failure Dad music. <laughs> but do you have any idea why I might have picked Firestarter as the random banter? Oh, oh, I've got a guess. Go ahead, yes. Jay. Because Firestorm is in this issue, and the issue itself is called Fire. So there we well, go. You are half right. <laughs> but before more we than I am usually. <laughs> but before we get into this, if you haven't already guessed, we are proud to finally have the irredeemable Shag on our show. And I say proud with a big shift eight on the keyboard thing above me, um, because <laughs> it's Shag. But no, I, we are we are we are proud to have him on the show because. He is probably one of the first podcasters I met. I met him and Nicholas Prom way back when at the Nerd Out, which is pretty impressive because he's all the way from Florida, and I met him before a lot of other people who live close by me. I flew across the country just to meet you. That's just how important to meet me. it was. Just to meet me. So Jeff it's, didn't show up. 
Yeah. Yeah. Did, yeah. Well, it's a, it was a thing. It was and, important to it was important to you. I I had other things <laughs> going on. There was a Mash rerun on that I really wanted to see. No, hey, we have wrong, a Mash podcast wrong, on my network. Wrong person. Wrong person. Wrong person. <laughs> that, that's that's Rob Kelly. Rob and Shag. You you mix them up a lot. It's it happened. No, no, that's Ryan and Rob that we mix up. But it's almost like Rob and I are fire and water or something like that. Yeah, you got to say you guys mix together. Shag is one of our earliest supporters, and we've always I've always appreciated his friendship, and I've always appreciated how he supported our show and i'm just glad to finally have you on here i'm thrilled i'm excited you guys came out of the gate swinging with this show it's been absolutely wonderful listening to it hearing as it evolves getting used to rick's annoying voice i mean it's really been a journey for all of us i think (laughs) you 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 you, you're right on that i i'm i'm starting to get used to my own annoying voice and that that's saying something since i'm the guy who edits so (laughs) your show first of all your short show is absolutely awesome And, and a lot of it comes from power pack being awesome in of itself sure but the, but the package you guys have wrapped around it is absolutely enjoyable. I mean, look, look at all the guests you guys have had. Look at the creators that are involved with your show because of how much fun it is. When I was at, I guess it was the Baltimore Comic Con? I can't remember. We were there with a bunch of friends. And everyone was running around to see Wheezy and, and see June specifically to get them to be on your show at that point to talk to them and tell them how great your show. I mean, everyone loves your show. It's phenomenal. That is so so kind of you to say. And just when people were saying, you know, like contacting us and going, we told Wheezy about your show mm-hmm. and they were they were interested. It's we tell we told June. I'm like, really? Because really? <laughs> I mean, you've heard it, right? <laughs> okay. And, and, yes. And, and still, you told them to. That it exists? That's awesome. <laughs> and, and none of us can claim to really have any part in getting them. It's your show that brought them to it. But I'm just telling you that the excitement from all of your fans and listeners, it, it was just amazing. It was just a lot of energy surrounding your show. And it's well, awesome. We got, I think you sent us the poster and then Tim Price sent us each a copy of Power Pack number one that the, he got a whole bunch of the creators to sign. Yep. And it's like, we're sitting here just like, we're getting these cool things. I actually got a poster from another one of our fans, Hoover Jeremiah. He's got, he sent us one of the original power pack posters and oh, yeah, wow. it's like a promotional poster. It's That's awesome. Yeah. That's phenomenal. That's so cool. I should ask you, what is your history with power pack? So believe it or not, I was there on day one. I bought power pack. Number one off the shelf as a little kid saw it there and I was already reading comics. I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's a new number one. I've got to get this. It's going to be worth a million dollars. <laughs> And uh, I read it, and like, here were kids that I could relate to. This was fantastic. So I loved the comic. I stuck with it for probably the first 25 issues or so. And then, you know, life gets in the way. You start doing mm-hmm. other things, especially when you're... And I kind of wandered away from the series. And then I came back to it, surprisingly, around this era. So we're covering issue 57 today. I came back with issue... Um, specifically, issue 60. I... Uh, there's a there's a storyline going on right now. I'm not going to go mm-hmm. into detail, but Alex is going through some changes. As you do when you're a teenager. Yeah. And where that ultimately leads was an idea that, for whatever reason, really sparked my imagination. I'm like, I love this idea. So I bought issue 60. I was totally hooked. I'm like, I am back. I am a full-time Power Pack buyer again. (laughs) This is it. I am buying every issue from now on, and it gets canceled two issues later. Whoops. That I think that began my long run of being a series killer. Anytime I would suddenly get interested in a series, it would get ended right away. So uh, I feel like I ended the series. You have my apologies. Uh, well, I, I think a lot of people at the time would say that it was time for that series to end with the direction it was going. So you getting back on board the power pack train was a mercy. 
Yeah, it was, a, it was a mercy on that one. But we were going to get to that. We were going to get to that one. After that, I started getting into the All Ages version that you guys do the Patreon episodes about as well. I was buying those off the shelves, buying all the collected editions, and my kids grew up reading these. Nice. I put them in the hands of my stepson. He burned through them. He loaned them out to his girlfriends. I mean, just he loved them. My daughter, then as she got a little older, she started reading them. So my kids have grown up knowing who Power Pack is, mainly through these. They, I couldn't really get him to read the, the originals, the classics. But mm-hmm. they uh, they love the all ages version, and I do too. No, we we have been enjoying doing the all ages version with our patreons. It's great. It's fun. I've been enjoying introducing my daughter to all of them. Mm-hmm. I think she's actually gone through all of the all ages already, and now she's rereading them as we do each issue for the Patreon. And this is the thing: we grew up with comics, and now we have the opportunity to introduce them to our children. And that's one of the theses that we have of the show as well, which is nice to also have. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I and just to... rediscovering it because uh, for me personally, you know, it's like before we did the show, Rick was like, hey, I just started rereading Power Pack. And I'm like, I've read that many times. I absolutely love that. I've got them stored away somewhere. And that kind of, you know, cued into this. But it's just rereading these. I'm like, there's so much that I've forgotten and so much of this that is so good and, you know, other. <laughs> uh, which you experience in any comic book series, even if it's the same authors and same artists where it's just like, a lot of them have highs and lows. If you can find ones that start on a high and maintain that, you know, a plus throughout, that's amazing and a rarity. Cause normally there's clunker issues and you know, stuff like that. So, but yeah, just to re-experience it has always been really fun. I managed a comic book shop in the nineties and you were just talking about, I, I was just going to echo kind of what you said. That was my favorite part of working in the comic shop was watching kids come in and seeing their eyes light up with new adventures or whatever it was, or talk about a character and you know, who's better Thor or Superman, you know, whatever, just seeing, passing on to the next generation you know so in my college years i experienced that i experienced it as a parent now and that's probably my you know one of my favorite things about comics nowadays is watching other people get excited well in order for us to get excited about this episode about this (laughs) issue i think we need to hear about last issue so that we can talk about this one that's my segue and i'm sticking with it jeff can you please give us a two sentence replay of last episode Galactus hungers. So he, of course, sends out Nova, his herald of the Grubhub, to get him a snack, but all she finds is worlds that have already been dined and dashed on by the entity known as the Starstalker. Well, Franklin saw all of this in a special dream, so he gathers up Friday and the Power Pack posse to hightail it into space so that they can do some stuff, save an Elan child, and then mess up by feeding the Starstalker some of the good good, which then cocoons up the double S and sends him straight to Earth. Now that the Alex is also losing his hair for some reason, and it is very mysterious, two-sentence replay is over, why don't you give me a beer and tell us what our Power Pack pick is? My pleasure, my friends. Now... It is really easy for me to get some beers over to my good friend, Jeff, because he's just across town. I can leave it on his porch and run away. He just has to figure out which one is which one's a flaming bag and which one's got a beer in it. He needs to figure that out on his own. I did not make it down all the way down to Florida. So I want to find out what Shag's drinking. But before we do that, Jeff, are you ready to open up your Magic Magic wrapped up beer? I was confused because it says fire on the side, so I didn't know if it was a Duke or not. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, what do we got? We have Everybody's Brewing Illuminated Northwest IPA. Nice little campfire in front of uh, a dark, spooky forest. Why well, illuminated? I don't know. Close. Um, it's because of the campfire on the front. It's because of the campfire on the front. <laughs> it's because fire. 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 <laughs> fire. Bad. 
So for all the listeners out there, I would like to attest, I've always often wondered when you get to this segment since the pandemic, if Jeff legitimately is opening the, you know, pulling it out of the oh, yeah. can, out of the bag or not. Because I'm like, oh, come on. He's I didn't even spoiler house. it. Oh, yeah. yeah. He totally did. He had no idea what was going on there. He clearly did not know that can. So there you go. Bags folks. labeled. I can, I know it's, I can tell if it's a can, a tall boy, a 12 ounce bottle or a bomber. That is about my distinguishing features. <laughs> and then I, I try not to spoil it for myself. Yeah. When it's the bombers, I actually have two bags. So like, you know, it covers the entire <laughs> bottle kind of a thing. And, and I have them all labeled. I have to label mine. I've got to label Jeff's. And I, I bring them over, put them out in front of his house because social distancing. And he comes out and brings them inside. We sat there and chat for a bit. But yeah, I got this planned out about two or three months in advance. And wow. it's about time for me to go on another beer run for our Patreon shows. But yeah. <laughs> but not. This is a nice looking can. Yeah, this is Everybody's Brewer. It's a true Northwest IPA. Glows like a campfire at dusk. Ours has a translucent brilliance, shining bright in both color and flavor. Light up your pint and illuminate your senses with this radiant IPA. Born in the heart of the great Northwest. 6.5% alcohol by volume, 65 IBUs. While we are looking at this, Shag, what are you bringing to the table? Well, I uh, did the sneaky lawyer trick of looking for a loophole because I'm not really much of a beer drinker. But what I did instead was I thought long and hard about this particular issue and decided, oh, wait a minute. I have an opportunity here where I could drink Captain Morgan's Spice Rum. Mm. Specifically because the artist on this issue is named Tom Morgan. (laughs) Hey, there you go. That's a perfect tie-in. I was wondering if you're going to go with that or if you were going to do a fireball. Oh, nice. No, I went with the Morgan, and uh, I'm drinking out of my Nova Herald of Galactus cup. So, Mm -hmm. uh, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, he has a Nova Herald of Galactus cup. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. We'll talk about that in a bit. So, yeah, uh, we have got a very piney. Oh, my goodness, yes. Very, very piney hop-smelling beer. That is mega, mega pine. That. It is uh, It is clear enough. It. I, I got to tell you, this looks like a good old lager color here. It's, looks it's like an apple cider to me. Eh, looks pretty like well, the dark, the dark clear color. Maybe a little darker than your normal lager, but it's pretty clear looking. Very. Clear it is looking. a pretty color. To me, it has a very uh, a certain apple cider appearance to it. It no head on it really to speak whatsoever. It is bubbly, but not excessively so. No sediment in there. Man, that you you put your nose to it. As soon as you crack that can, it is just like. I'm in a forest. I'm smelling pine. A little bit of hops, but pine. So, And that pine smell comes into a pine taste. Very sharp first taste. Yes, very, it does. Very, very sharp first taste as Jeff reacts to it. Second taste is not that bad. You get over the, the shock of it, but it still is very sharp. It has that bite on it. I think that the hops is going to come in really strong as this warms up. It's like salt on a slug. My tongue is just, as I drank it, I'm like, yeah, this is very piney. And then my tongue just started to retract upon itself further and further. And I'm like... I like my face is getting that little pucker. That tongue is just becoming a, a dried little eraser. <laughs> As I'm getting a little used to it, I'm enjoying it a little bit more because it's not. I'm not getting the, the shock of it anymore. Yeah, pine is the only thing I'm tasting. That's a big part of it. Yeah, it's got the kind of hoppy flavor, but it is predominantly. Yeah, it is very very pine. Very very pine. Reminds me of the Northwest, and this is a Northwest IPA because why use hops when you could use a pine tree? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's how we roll here. My, mine just tastes like Captain and Coke, and that's okay. So, now that we've got our beers, Jeff, why don't you give us the opening credits, if you please? Power Pack, issue number 57, July 1990, Fire. Credits, writer, Michael Higgins, penciler, Tom Morgan, inker, Andy Mashinsky, letterer, Joe Rosen, colorist, Neil Yomtov, 
Editor, Daryl Edelman. Chief, Tom DeFalco. With a plot assist from Seth Crutchcow. Featuring Power Pack, Alex Power, a.k.a. Mass Master. Density. Julie Power, a.k.a. Lightspeed. Flyer. Jack Power, a.k.a. Destroyer. Energy. Katie Power, a.k.a. Counterweight. Gravity. Franklin Richards, a.k.a. Tattletail. Astral Projection. Friday. Alien Smart Chip from Camellia. And guest starring Firestorm, the nuclear woman. Wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to stop you right there. First, this is Marvel, not DC. Second, I think you mean Nova, not Firestorm. Look, Rick, the heart wants what the heart wants. But you're right. Okay, you're a little bit right there. Nova is not the one from the Nova Corps. You know, the one who's cool because he has a lot in common with Firestorm. All right, so this would be the cosmically powered Herald of Galactus who has fire powers that she uses in space where... There's no oxygen, which sounds like a science corner kind of moment. But anyway, uh, there's also this little Elon or Elan, Elon, Elon. I don't know. We'll go with that. Who's some weird little alien from a species that was first introduced a long time ago in the Fantastic Four, which I would have had no idea about without footnotes. And speaking of the Elon, like Nova, he is unconscious on a medbay table inside of Friday, as is Nova. But... Unlike Nova, the Elan is only mostly unconscious. The body is out, but one of its headstocks is injured and throwing out a mess of tiny powerballs. All of the kids are diving for cover or clouding up, except for Franklin. He's just kind of, you know, standing there, looking at the pretty, pretty fireworks, right until one of the fireworks smacks him in the back. Franklin! Speak to me, Franklin! No, he does not want to, Katie. He's too busy also being unconscious and injured to answer you. So she de-grab, picks him up, and has a dramatic moment where she screams to the heavens like, Gone! Then she blames him for getting hit when he should have seen it coming. Ah, victim blaming. A classic. Julie grabs the two-piece dramatic set piece before her sister also gets hit and flies them slightly out of the way. She lays Franklin down next to Nova, still in the danger zone. But don't you worry, none. Jack is on the case. That is right. Jack, it's time to hear her up because danger abounds. And it looks like it's up to me, the Energizer. Wait, Energizer? I thought he was going by Destroyer now. Yeah, he is, to the best of my knowledge, but this is not the only continuity error that we'll have in this issue. Well, uh, the Energized Destroyer absorbs all of the flying energy projectiles, like all of them. This causes him to roll with energy and glow like a beacon, a condition that will be quickly forgotten about by the next page. And after he's done doing that, Friday cauterizes the Elan's headstock wound in an attempt to keep it from, like, destroying everyone and everything in the ship. Now, I'm not the most knowledgeable Power Pack fan, especially from this era, but Alex sure seems like he's a real complainer nowadays. Is this normal for this era? Sometimes yes, and sometimes no. It is kind of a balancing act of how he's handling the pressures of life and who is writing him. In this instance, Alex is calling himself a chicken again, and he's being jealous of Jack's use of the destroyer power. He also gets a glance in the mirror of an actual bald spot on the top of his head. Question, why does Friday have this bank of mirrors on the ceiling? Oh, oh I know this one. Rick, it's obvious. It, it's so the characters can check for bald spots. Uh, Jeff and I should know. Okay, sure. Um, well, after he freaks out about his hair, he takes stock of the rest of the ship. They have an unconscious Nova, Franklin, and a strange alien dude, and they have a giant energy-eating monster heading to Earth. Friday gives a medical report on the injured. Nova has lost her cosmic powers, but still seems to be generating superhero energy, and that is just confusing the ship. 
The Elon is doing better than dead because of being miraculously healed by Alex last issue, and Franklin's in a weird coma because he, he's a mutant. It, or it could be something else. Oh, and Friday does not have time to help Alex with his problems. Ah, so Alex has asked Friday to figure out why he's going bald. Seems like a rather pedestrian problem, given the circumstances, if you ask me. But luckily, the smart ship is not going to waste any time on that problem now. Meanwhile on Earth, home of the sleeping parents. It's nighttime, and the lost perm, Maggie Power, has woken up worried. And I have to say, I like her sleepwear, smoking hot. She feels that something is wrong, so she checks on her kids and finds that they're missing. Again. I'm sorry, what? Again. This uh, happens a lot. The kids routinely sneak out and are occasionally caught. And the parents don't know about their powers? No, and here's the thing. The aliens who are connected with the kids' powers did something to their parents' brains, so they easily accept the kids doing things like this, but they cannot be told the kids have powers because that would break them mentally. Well, that uh, doesn't really sound like a stable situation. No, no it is not. Which explains why Maggie starts sobbing uncontrollably as she wakes up a de-bearded Jim. Maggie is a wreck, but Jim is calm and centered. And after he gets her settled down, he makes a phone call to... Him. Him? Is he going to call Batman to help him find the kids? Because that's totally what I would do. No, 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 he's not. But maybe he found Frank Castle's number in Katie's room and is going to call him. Unlikely, but maybe he found Dakota North's phone number in Jack's room and is going to call her. Doubtful, since Dakota's a she and the him mentioned in the comic is probably a he. So I guess this is just going to remain a mystery for right now. Meanwhile in Franklin's brain... Home of a small child's gray matter. Franklin is stuck in his unresponsive body, so he enters into some make-believe dreamland, and it's getting darker, and he guesses that he needs to steal something, because that makes sense, and his costume changes into that of the Hamburglar, and then he takes this contraption that's right out of the movie My Science Project. He also starts to scream that if he does not take this thing, everybody on Earth will die. That is the same thing I scream when I start driving my car down the freeway. The looks I get, man. Meanwhile in Central Park, home of yet another plotline. Hey, cool. Check it out. I found Waldo. Yeah, there he is. He's got the striped hat and everything. Oh, man, he's seen better days. Guys, that, that's not Waldo. That's a homeless guy wearing a red and white striped toque. And in this scene, he's sleeping on a park bench and wakes up to a bright light. Wait, is this where Firestorm shows up? Or is this guy part of the new Firestorm? Uh, no. And maybe... That is also completely wrong and not part of the story yet, but it might not be for now. This is just a guy that wakes up because he sees a bright light and then he gets attacked by a gang of kids. Yep. Into every generation there is born a group of young men who find it enjoyable to visit misery and pain on the unfortunate. And you will know them by the stylish clothes they wear, proclaiming them as new kids on the block and crutch boy. These princes of society think that taking down a homeless man and dousing him with liquor and threatening to set him on fire is fun. Luckily, a giant yellow banded present arrives in the park at that moment. You know, that cocoon, the Star Stalker made from last episode? Oh, I, I do remember that cocoon. <laughs> I'm sure that this is going to end well. Well, the gang of tough kids run away like scared little chickens, leaving the old man alone. So that's a check in the good column, at least. Meanwhile in space, home of the trippy geometric art that is trying to convey sciencey stuff. The heroes swirl out of hyperspace and Friday homes in on Central Park. And they're still tracking the monster who has now freed itself from the food coma cocoon and has once again found itself a little peckish. 
So it does what anyone would do when they're hangry. It starts destroying the park. It's exactly what I do. The public is panicking, and one man even prays for Superman. Again, not a DC comic. Nobody is praying for Superman. Um, let me move my glasses up to my nose and point out that you are wrong, sir. Actually, on page 14, there's a guy who happens to be wearing a blue suit, bluish black hair, big glasses, who utters the Superman prayer. Um, you mean the, look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. Um, I'm pretty sure he's talking about Friday. Does not matter. The prayer has been invoked and Superman is soon to arrive. Okay, uh, well, in the meantime. Friday is here, and she unleashes a barrage of blast into the back of the Big Bad. The four power kids prepare to leap into action since they are the only conscious heroes on the ship. Speaking of that, we get another interlude with Franklin. He is still stuck in his own mind, but he is aware that Power Pack is leaving. He is silently screaming at them to come back. He knows what the real danger is, and he does not want to be alone. Man, is that a statement for our time or what? But they leave him alone anyway and start their attack on the monster. But as they do this, back on Friday, the nuclear woman wakes up. Her name is Nova, and she is not Firestorm. Yes, she is. She is confused. She was battling a monster in space. Now she's on a strange ship and she sees Franklin Richards. Not only that, but the ship is also talking to her. I mean, I've woken up in my own bed and have been confused. I am not sure how I would react to that. It is even worse. Nova says she'd better go out there and help out, but Friday asks how she plans on doing that, now that she has no powers and is human again. Bummer for her. Unlike Mrs. Not-Firestorm, Power Pack still has their powers, and Alex has his cranked all the way up. Not only is he completely fogging in the evil monster, but he's also complaining for over half the page about what he would do if he had any of the other powers but these. The Star Stalker is agreeing that the clouds are a joke, just as much as Julie's rainbows are. But Julie knows that the best she can do right now is to try and distract the beast from beyond. And even that doesn't seem to be working. And now we get to go back to the disturbing part of this book. Every day, ordinary Frankie Ray is running towards the fight, unsure of what she can do to help when she finds the gang of toughs from earlier hassling the old homeless man. Again. Yeah, they were not too content to run in terror from the attacking Godzilla. Instead, they needed to regroup and finish terrorizing someone else. And after some angry words, they light this guy up. Whoosh! One of the kids actually says, oh, radical, he went up like a torch. As the kids run off with murder highs and glee in their three sizes too small hearts, Frankie comes over to the man and try to help and unconsciously pulls the fire off of the man and onto herself. And she becomes Firestorm. Now stop, no! stop, stop, stop. Now before you say anything, just look. Flaming hair, check. Yellow torso costume with yellow boots and gloves, check. Red arms and legs, Check! Fire-based powers, check! Besides the fact that you are completely wrong... No, I'm not. I cannot argue with your logic. So, yes, she is Firestorm, the nuclear woman. Wait, wait, no, she, she's, she's, she's... And now repowered Firestorm flies up in the air to go and help her friends and is amazed to see that the old guy is not burnt or injured at all from the flames that she drew off of him. How's that work? The old guy has his own cryptic thoughts upon seeing her along the lines of, Oh no, not her. I don't want her finding out about me. Which is probably not important. I mean, it's not like they would be introducing yet another plotline into this book. Wouldn't they? Well, back in the main fight, and in the absence of direction from their leader Alex, Jack is realizing that his power is not making a dent on this guy. But he gets an idea and calls Katie over to help out a brave Julie. <laughs> 
This is what I think of you, monster. Ha ha ha! I'll be glad to be finished with this miserable mud ball. But first, I will be satisfied. This world, like so many others, shall be drained of its vital energies, and a lot of you would-be defenders will likewise lie dead. Bold words from somebody wrapped up in a rainbow ribbon candy. At that moment, Firestorm! It's not... Uh, whatever. Thank you! Firestorm chastises the old guy, saying that between the burn-happy hoods and the battle over there, he's in danger and needs to get out of here and get somewhere safe. And hey, as luck would have it, there's a safe spaceship to go into right there! Then she flies off to the battle, and just in time, too. The big lizard has just backhanded the rainbow girl, knocking her out and knocking her into left field. Frankie catches Julie and sets her down safely to the ground. And while Jack begins to doubt his plan and his power's current usefulness, Frankie has come up with a plan of her own. It's plans all around time. Frankie's plan is to fly off and start another. Meanwhile at Four Freedoms Plaza. Home of the, well, well, it's the, the home of the Fantastic Four. But not for long. It looks like the call that Jim Power made a long time ago is finally paying off. It turns out that his call was to the red-haired stranger who calls himself Reed Richards. And the Just For Men Auburn edition Reed is heading out to meet mustache man Jim Power to discuss their kids and something that he has suspected all along. And with that interlude over, Frankie Ray shows up at the foyer of the plaza. A moment of confusion with an automated receptionist is solved, and Frankie is let in on her own recognizance so that she can, you know, break into the FF storage locker and steal some kind of widget that looks like Captain Hook's hook. Back at the fight, we find out what Jack's idea is. He suggested that Kitty crank up the gravity on the monster. Okay, Jack, here I go. Rumble. Sinking it waist deep into the ground, immobilizing it. It worked, Jack! Now, do we get the story about the old homeless guy and the unconscious kid? Yes, but I wish we could find a better way to talk about it, because you know what? That's kind of creepy! Not as creepy as this old guy. You know, the one that was being violently harassed in the park and then set on fire? Well, as instructed, he ran into the spaceship, which I cannot blame him for doing, even though he originally told himself that he wasn't. Once inside, he is confronted with the aforementioned unconscious boy and a conscious, on many levels, ship. Franklin's still trying to inform somebody outside of his body that he has an answer to the problem that nobody even knows about. And because this is comic book logic, he figures that, since he's connected to Friday's medical equipment, that he can speak through the Chimelian spaceship. And surprisingly, he's right. And once Franklin has made that rainbow connection, he insists that they have to leave now. They have to go to space and leave their friends in order to save their friends. Friday has to take him to Galactus. And after a moment's hesitation, the spaceship takes off. But what about the nameless homeless guy that is on the ship? Well, Jeff, I'm glad you asked. He's still there. In a strange spaceship in space? Yep. With an unconscious child? And alien? Yep. And he reeks of alcohol, too? Yep. But he is as confused as we are, so let's just kick out another... <clears throat> Meanwhile, back on Earth... Home of an uncountable number of plot lines. Okay, last two pages. I think I can make it, but what is happening? Well, you see, the B-movie rejected rubber suit that the kids have been fighting is mocking them. Ha! Did you really think that would stop me? Your efforts are wasted on one with power such as mine! See? Mocking! Nice. And I see Firestorm has returned with some 1960s Kirby tech to many a panel that has everyone in miscolored costumes. Still not Firestorm, but yes, that's a good description of all the things. 
Frankie explains that this MacGuffin is the stimulator. <laughs> Stop it. And it is a plot device written in the Silver Age to restore superpowers. Her cellular structure is all kinds of wackadoodle, so she surmises that if Alex shoots her with this device, while another thingamabob is placed by the tall, green, and mean, she can resolve this story. That is some grade A comic book nonsense right there. And I am down with it. And I am down with still having questions and a headache. Guys, 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 it's a big world. You both can be right. Firestorm does her best superstar impersonation and Alex lights her up. Normally we would insert a bang or a boom, but this creative team does not want to exceed their budget on sound effects. So we just see a bright fireball effect. Yahoo, got him. You nailed the bum right in the kisser. Then it's all over. The kids are all kind of excited and happy, even more so when they discover that their new friend is once again a controlled cosmic supernova that is probably irradiating their young bodies. But not so fast. Something is different. While yes, Frankie is back to being a cosmically powered flame being, her costume has changed to having a plunging neckline, she has spikes jutting out of her shoulders and elbows, and she is cackling about how she has turned into something evil. And that leaves us with the last two panels back in space. A smart ship, an alien, and a child, and some homeless guy walk into a bar. No, wait, hold on. Uh, take back that last bit and change it just to space. Anyway, it appears this suicide squad is going to go and steal the ultimate nullifier from the big purple planet eater. Meanwhile, Friday says that they also have to amputate the Elon's injured headstock to keep it from destroying them all. Man, if I had a nickel. Next issue. Galactus. But speaking of Galactus, what is the Galacticized themes of this issue? Because it's Power Pack at packaging time, and we are going to talk about <laughs> everything from cover to cover and all the pretty, pretty little pages inside. So, gentlemen, let's go ahead and start with the cover. Drawn by, rest in peace, Steve Lytle, because we are recording this on January 17th, 2021, and early this month, Steve Lytle passed away. What do we think of the cover of this issue? Uh, Shay, do you want to tell us what it looks like? Sure thing. You've got the Star Slayer in the far, far back, and you just see a little bit of his face. Star Stalker. Both of them. I've heard it both ways. <laughs> so he's in the back roaring, and then in sort of in the foreground, you've got the power back kids on the right-hand side. You've got Alex in cloud form. You've got Jackie, who's all energized up. you got Katie, who's doing some energy, or I'm sorry, uh, degrabbing I don't know, her shoes? I don't know. Uh, Julie's <laughs> rocking the 1980s big hair. And then on the far left, Firestorm is flying in in her Nova form. And flying in, it even says, guest starring Nova right there. So that that's kind of, oh, and you got the Elon in the corner box. Yeah. Yep. Looking very sad. Yeah. So what do you what do you what do you guys think of this? It's a good looking cover. Again, as Shag said, that is some eighties hair on Julie. That is some big, <laughs> big, big, big old hair. Katie just looks like she's having a grand old time, and uh, Nova looks like the artist really likes drawing her. So I don't like how he drew Julie, and I don't like how he drew Katie, but I like everything else about this cover. I'm fine with Katie. Uh, Julie does bother me a bit. She looks a bit older and again her hair is wacko doodle. Uh Katie Katie yeah. looks too happy just like yeah. she's from a different comic right now. Yeah. Like she's just like things are going great. We're going to just go on a play date. And it's like, uh there's a giant monster. I'm escaping a giant monster's uh, open mouth of teeth and it's about to rend me. Wee! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
My, my struggle is the cover doesn't really tell you a lot about no. the issue. Uh, I mean, yes, it's got the balloons, battles the Star Stalker in Gestarin Nova, but and, and the kids are actually fighting Nova on the cover rather than the Star Stalker. So it yeah. really looks that way yeah. because they are all focused on her, and Jack really does appear to be uh, getting ready to uh, energize her or destroy or blast her. And, and it's not the and it's not the Nova that's the evil Nova from the end of the issue. So no. I, it's very pretty looking. It just doesn't sell you what this book's about. It tells you predominantly who's in it. Yeah. Past that, yep. uh, it's a big nothing. You know, you, you cover up Julie, and it looks great. I mean, I think even if you had uh, just changed Julie's hair, it would, it would be a fine cover, but basically it just says featuring these cast members. Lytle's done a fantastic job rendering the individual characters. They all, they again, uh, Nova looks awesome. Jack, Jack, I think, is probably the standout on the cover. Jack looks phenomenal in that glowing way. Oh, yeah. And that's that's got to be hard to draw, mm-hmm. where you're, you know, the negative space you're having to create and everything with the drawing. It just looks phenomenal. The Star Stalker actually looks terrifying here. I have not been scared of the Star Stalker at all in the, in the book. He no. looks terrifying on this. That's because on this cover, you can't see his uh, tidy briefs Yeah, yeah. that uh, he is sporting throughout the entire issue. Yeah, this is like Fing Fang Foom level here where it's just like it's a big giant monster and, and you can see the, the dread and everything else. You don't get that anywhere else in the book. Well, it may have something to do with the facts too. Also, Steve doesn't draw power back no. on a regular basis. I mean, if you look up some of his Legion covers, they are some of the best covers out there. I mean, I know, Rick, you've kind of gotten in a little bit of Legion. If you were to Google some of Steve's uh, Lytle's Legion cover, they'll blow you away. They're absolutely amazing. Yeah, and that's, unfortunately, and, and going to kind of talk about it later, we'll talk about Steve Lytle uh, later. I want to talk about him. I also want to talk about the inker, Andy Mashunsky, and I'm sorry for mispronouncing that name, but I want to talk about them a little bit later as we go into Creative Team Spotlight. But I, I'm going to really rely on you because I don't know Steve's work that well, unfortunately. And I, in the past month, I've heard a lot of people say some great things about it. And I'm just like, my only exposure with power is power pack covers. And I haven't been too impressed, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Let's get inside the book and talk about what's inside the book. And let's start about how many plots do you think we can have in one book before it just becomes an unreasonable mess? <laughs> uh, it is N minus the number that is in here. There is a minimum eight plots going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a 31-page comic. Power Pack is in, I think, 14 pages. I included uh, Franklin completely off-center dreamscape stuff, and there's some pages where it's just like and power pack is just like pictured in a in a in a corner, but it had the rest of the page had nothing and, to do with them. And I know we like to say that that Franklin and Friday are members of Power Pack. If we look at, you know, th- there are additional members of Power Pack. We still want to see the main members of Power Pack. When we just look for the original, the original four kids, it's like, wow, it's even less. Well, one of the things I kind of got from this, uh, Michael Higgins uh, used to be an editor of for Fantastic yeah. Four. He edited that book for a long time. I think during the Burn era, even uh, or some of it. So clearly, you get a sense that this book is heavily influenced by FF. Yes. I mean, there's so many FF items in this series. It's almost like you want to write an FF comic and pigeonhole the power pack around yeah. it. And that and that's the problem here is that it is this is where power pack all of a sudden starts to be seen as a Fantastic Four book where prior to this they were not. They were not a Fantastic Four adjacent book. Yes, they had Franklin Richards in it, but that was just a place where John Byrne could park Franklin Richards so he didn't have to worry about him. And that was fine with everybody <laughs> else because you you had people like John Bogdanov who are like, "Yeah, I want Franklin Richards here. It's all great." And it still was stories about power pack. And we're losing that now cuz now it's a Fantastic Four story with these kids. 
Well, okay. it's a story about Nova. It's about a homeless guy on a park bench. It is about something going on, you know, uh, Jim's calling Reed. It yeah. is about, it's about the Franklin. secretary. Yeah, it's about, it's Franklin. about Franklin having dreams. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's kind of, I guess, the star of the show. I guess. Hmm. He's got, uh, it's hard to tell if he's the uh, B-roll plot or if Power Pack is the B-roll plot in yeah. this. I think the Power Pack issue with the Star Stalker is the, the A plot. Yeah, and it, it Franklin's is. Franklin's the B plot, is, yeah. but yeah. The, the part of the, I think part of where we're struggling too is a lot of the plot stuff that seems to happen here just happens because the story needs to keep moving yeah. forward. Yes. Like a lot of the plot points that get introduced don't make a lot of sense. They're like, they're just happening to drive it forward. Very plot It day. seems very much along the lines that uh, Michael Higgins has plans for where he wants to take it. So he's introducing a bunch of things for kind of, you know, it's the, the meta plot, the metadata mm -hmm. set where it's just mm -hmm. like, oh, I have this storyline. So, okay, so Alex is losing his hair. Okay, there's a thing with Galactus, which I'm, I'm you know, it's like I'm basing this out, you know, uh, two three issues away so i got i got to touch in this and that's because you know with, with franklin oh and i gotta do this thing too so you know it's kind of like he's setting up stuff for the future but he's kind of like introducing all of it as fast as he can more talented writers do a better job with this because they can actually take a lot of disparate ideas and they can put them in subtly and he's not doing that he's coming in there with a sledgehammer saying it's going to fit yeah it, there is kind of an audible kerklunk of the lever of plot yeah. lines going on. Mm. It's not the, you know, like we did, there was a kicking out a bunch of meanwhiles, but it literally was like, we got to stop Starstalker. Kerk-clunk. Yeah. A red-haired <laughs> Reed is been thinking, well, I've suspected this all along and I've probably known, but now I need to go and talk to Jim and it might cost me, you know, my, my child. Kerk-clunk. Meanwhile, yeah, I'm just, a homeless guy. Don't worry, uh, tough kids that are here. I'll protect you from the glow light. Ha ha, will you? You think you're a hero? How about we light you on fire like the human torch? Kirk clunk. Yeah, it just, it just does not... It, it keeps on going. It keeps on going. And, and like I, I mentioned in my notes, it's a lot of talking going on. A lot of stuff. But at the same time, we get to the end of the book and like, what's happened? Well, the kids made it back to Earth and they stopped one bad thing and they started another bad thing. And it is along those lines where yeah. how you were saying there there's a lot of talking, but there's not really a lot being said. Yeah. Yeah. It's just I'm explaining why I'm doing this and going over here. Bye. How about just show it? Just do it. Just mm -hmm. go and do it. The thing. We'll catch up. Right. Have faith in your audience. Something. <laughs> I don't know. Let's talk about the old guy being set on fire. Um, That was uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. The in, just a bit. The entirety of those toughs, gang members, miscreant adolescents, whatever they were, all of their interactions with this homeless guy were disgustingly uncomfortable. Yeah, and so was the new kids on the block. Yeah, too, yeah. which makes no sense, by the way. A street tough one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's even at the height of the new kids' fame, I didn't get it. I'm like going, uh -uh. <laughs> hmm? <laughs> what? No, crutch boy, I can get. New kids? No, I can't. Marvel Comics did so much to try to say, hey, kids, don't set yourself on fire to be like the Human Torch. And then we get a guy here who was an editor on the Fantastic Four writing something about, hey, we're going to set this guy on fire so he looks like the Human Torch. <sighs> Good catch. Did not even think about yeah, that. Yeah, it's like, I, what are we doing here, folks? What are we doing? Yeah, we want to kind of get to this 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 area where like this guy catches on fire and things happen. How about this? You've got this giant monster that's, you know, flowing all this energy all around. How about one of the energy blasts gets too close to this guy and he catches on fire and then Nova saves him. 
or the bad guys could have just set a dumpster on fire. Could have been anything. I, I, I was fine with the kid with the bad kids running away after they like were threatening to beat up this old guy. I yeah, was fine with them chickening out and running far, far and away and gone. still running. The fact yeah. that they circled back to the to close where this battle's occurring to torture the old guy again. I'm going okay. Characterization. We need characterization, even in your secondary characters. Yeah, I yeah I like that fact where it's just like Godzilla's attacking Tokyo. Run. Well, wait a minute. He's not attacking our block, so uh, well, we could probably torture let, a guy. Let's go back and let's go back and, and torture somebody. I mean, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm going to play the the bad cop here, our devil's advocate here. It is the Marvel universe, mm-hmm. so you think about every other week, some area of New York's under attack, and after yeah. a while, you're going to get a bit desensitized to it. You're like, um, well, let me see. Yeah, you know what? I think. I think Fing Fang Foom's at least three blocks away. We got time. We're probably okay. We got time. It's fine. I can I can finish my I can finish my brunch, right? We got time. Yeah. <laughs> I can I can still get my takeout. I'll take it with me. I'll right, get in my exactly. car and drive away, obviously. But I really need my burrito. Yeah. And uh can I get some Mexi fries with that? But yeah, I <laughs> am always kind of a fan of the everyday, you know, the people in the Marvel universe kind of dealing with the stuff. In fact, I think uh, Marvel Unlimited this week had Marvel snapshots like number one come out and it deals with day-to-day people. And it's like, oh, this one's featured Spider-Man, but there literally is this news reports where it's like, heroes and villains are doing stuff again, so avoid these streets. And it's like, oh man, I gotta get to work. Could you guys stop that? And even, you know, like it ends and it's like, this person's leaving town with his girlfriend and all their stuff and it's like, well, there's this, you know, whatever invasion's going on. Yeah, but it's over there. So this is pretty amazing. What the invasion? No, it's just the the aspect that this road will never be this clear on a on a you know rush hour traffic ever again. So this is we're making great time. You know, it's just like yeah, you you really would you'd get an inert to the uh, aspect of like yeah, there's people flying and that guy shoots flames and that bank's being eaten by a giant underground monster and uh, yeah, there were aliens and but it turns out they were Mysterio aliens. I don't know. Anyway, did you see the final of Game of Thrones? Because I cannot believe that there's literally robots outside. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I really like Westeros. That was yeah. So, so. I, I, speaking of the people just kind of ignoring things and 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 doing things out of character, you read Power Pack a long time ago, Shag. Very long time ago. Yes. Yeah, but I mean, you had an idea about how the kids acted and how the kids were. Yep. How did this? How did you seeing the kids in this book meet up with your memories of the kids from back then? Yeah, that's a good uh, a good question. Not a lot in common, you know. Now, part of it is my, you know, my thoughts are a little bit clouded by the all ages versions. So sure. I've actually read those more recently. But I will say, I will say, the all ages versions, I think, are a real faithful homage to Wheezy's original concept yeah. of the kids back in the day. I they mean, follow the icon, like the temple. they follow the icons. They're they're a much more perfect example of them because they want them to be cleaner. Mm-hmm. But it's very, very much. It's really honest to what her ideals were. All right, so Alex uh, is. Either he's completely something's happened where he's completely lost his self confidence in himself, mm-hmm. uh, but he's just so whiny and everything. I mean, he's he's really irritating in this issue. He really yeah. is because he's still got this power set and that Jack used for years and successfully. And he's actually got more. And now even in this issue, they're telling us he's more instinctual with it, so he's even better with it. And it could be potentially. So though all the whininess doesn't really track. Julie doesn't even have a personality in this issue. Uh, yeah. It's not that they no. it's not that they treat her wrong. They just ignored her for the most yeah. part. Yeah, she was around. She did. Uh, yeah, she. Well, we covered this, you know, later too. But yeah, she basically was just like, I can be a distraction. I'll ribbon candy. Yeah, Katie. She did a couple of things, but again, you didn't really get in her head other than worrying about Franklin. I felt like, and Jack seemed to kind of have it all together. 
Like, almost yeah. like the writer loved Jack, and he wasn't, you know, the curmudgeon that Jeff loves to do. He was yeah. this kid who had a plan, and it just, it didn't remind me. Now, it's nice to go, oh, Jack's growing up. I like that idea. Mm-hmm. But it didn't necessarily feel like Jack either. So, yeah, they didn't really necessarily feel, the kids weren't that recognizable. They, a long answer to your question. No, that's that's exactly what I was thinking. And I, I think Jeff and I can both agree, this is a radical departure from what we see the kids have grown up as how their characters have evolved over the various writers and even the people who have come in and stepped into their shoes. We had Dwayne McDuffie write one of the most recent one-shot issues. He got the characters about right. We mock Terry Austin a lot of times. We beg on him. But Terry Austin, he knows the characters and he comes in with the characters. And we may not like his stories, but he knows the characters. So it's like, it doesn't make sense. It's a little frustrating. And I can definitely see reading a lot of the fan mail from the time. We've been getting a lot of uh, the, the fan zines that were published at the time. We've got Ooh. a fan that's been sending them in to us. And I've been kind of going through there and just reading that instant, or as instant as it was at that time, reaction to the, these books. They're like, this is annoying. This doesn't fit. This isn't what we were expecting. And you can see people getting angry about it. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I do see the characters are just divergent from their personality types. They're not like radically, radically different, but they are divergent enough where Mm -hmm. it's just like they're kind of hitting. It's like Alex has had self-doubts about his powers before and, you know, been kind of jealous of people's power, you know, other people's powers and stuff. Uh, So we'll just crank that to way over here where he's like, boohoo on me. And it's like, ah, all right. Everybody was along their lines but just not they were in a ballpark but you could definitely tell you know that it they weren't accurate they weren't near where they needed to be before we move on to anything else is there any other thoughts themes ideas or stuff you want to talk about maggie's mental break that was very sad uh, and i'm guessing that's a reoccurring issue i mean since their brains got muddled with (sighs) yeah it it, this kind of started during the inferno saga uh where that's the first time that the parents were kind of told that the kids have powers. The boogeyman put them in kind of a trolley situation where I'm going to kill the parent, your parents right here in front of you in this elevator, unless you reveal your powers to your parents. And so they did. And they're like, we have powers. And then they would battle the boogeyman. And then they went out and were part of the Inferno crossover where they were saving people in the city. And the parents were left at home dealing with the fact that, this horrible thing's happening. Our kids have powers. They've been lying to us and what's going on. And so they were dealing with a lot of emotional breaking at that time. Thanks to a nice plot convenience with Daniel Moonstar and uh, the new mutants coming in, they were able to trick the parents into saying, the kids don't really have powers. This was just kind of a fake thing set up. Uh, don't, don't. <laughs> it, it was a nice, it was a nice wave of the hand and it made sense in the context. But then, they went back to Chameleon. The Chameleons are like, oh, yeah, by the way, when we were last on Earth, we kind of messed with your parents' brains a little bit so that it's really easy for them to accept any explanation you give them that you don't have powers and you'll be able to get away with a lot of things. But if they are ever faced with you guys having powers, uh, they're going to break. And, they, and they've been caught sneaking out a lot and stuff like this. So it's been waved in front of there that there's this there's a break that could happen. And the kids have always been worried about it. Like, we need to fix this. We got to figure out a way to deprogram our parents. It's expected, but how this is handled through the next few issues and the fact that Maggie is the one that really has the emotional breakdown and Jim is able to kind of deal with it. He's still struggling, but he's dealing with it. There's entire essays that we could probably write just on that and how 
bad of a character optics it is that the woman has the problems and the men is able to deal with it. In, in some senses, it makes sense. In other senses, it's just, it's a plot line we don't like. It's something that we wish could be gotten rid of. And I don't like how it's being used here. That's my thought. Jeff? My thing that I kind of wanted to talk about was just the, the continuity errors that they had. Because this Ooh. comic was pretty rife with them. From putting characters in the wrong colored costumes to Nova's costume, uh, like gained arms and leggings, you know. Jim only has a mustache now instead of a beard. And he looks more kind of like a 70s Robert Redford Marlboro <laughs> man kind of guy. <laughs> Maggie looks more like kind of a, you know, little sex kidney instead of kind of Maggie, you know, as looking like Maggie where she's just, yeah, yeah, she's attractive, but she's kind of a mom, you know, a, a Marvel mom kind of thing. You know, Reed ha literally has like auburn hair. Yeah. He doesn't have his, his gray stripes. He's just, it, if you, if you looked at a picture of him that they had here, it, you would in no way go, that's Reed Richards, except that. You know, the little word bubble above it, they just said, you know, Reed Richards, home of the Fantastic Four. This is Reed Richards, you know, Mr. Fantastic. If you just saw him, you'd be like, it's, I don't know who that is. Yeah, it's a guy walking out of an apartment that happens to be in the fan uh, for Freedom Plaza. Yeah. It's interesting because we're sort of shining a spotlight on three different areas of continuity problems. One's in the <laughs> writing, one's mm -hmm. in the penciling and inking, and then the other's in the coloring. All these are different people, too. Yeah, I think that there's some serious blame that goes along the entire staff. And mm -hmm. I actually put the majority of the blame up on the editor yeah. of the book. Yeah. Because I think that this is a problem. And once again, armchair fan saying this, but... Yeah, 35 years yeah, later. 35 kind of years later, too. But looking back at, at the course of the run, you know, Carl Potts was running this a lot. And while we might have problems with the individual issues, he still was keeping things tight. And you can see that, you know, there might be a little issue here, a little issue there, but he was keeping things tight and you wouldn't have all of these issues. There may be a coloring error here. There may be a small continuity error there. One character may just kind of drift a little far off base because of the writing, but on a whole, we could still see some continuity. And once you start losing the editor of a book for a long period of time, you're going to miss that. Then it's just like the editor's checking for spelling is what they're doing, I think. Yeah. And in fact, I think this is the uh, second editor since Carl Potts. Yeah. And now, and now for these last few issues, it's like, this is kind of the creative team we've got going on and they're making it up as they go. And let me just take this moment to move right into the creative spotlight. We have, instead of talking about literature that I find in the books, I've changed this up a bit and I'm changing this into creative team spotlight because we have an entirely new creative team. And so I'm trying to find out anything I possibly can about some of the members. And I'm going to try to spotlight a couple of them here as best I can. First one is the anchor and he's the anchor for uh, issues 56 through 57. So this issue and last issue, and that's Andy Mushinsky. Once again, I apologize if I'm messing up the name. I was hoping to find some more information, but I kind of did a late call out to look for an interview he gave with Comic Interview number, issue number 22. I was hoping to be able to see something like that, but I never got it. A big thank you to the Long Box of Darkness who provided me with some scans of the interview that I was looking for. I was able to read through it after I had a conversation with Jeff and Shag and found a little bit more about Andy. He was born in West Germany, and his father was an artist who sold portraits to the GIs. He drew a lot when he was younger, but he got into acting in high school. He eventually found his way back into being an artist, and eventually got into comic books, being an inker. He enjoyed inking, but he was feeling like it was a little limiting to him, but he still enjoyed the work. He enjoyed being able to go in, feel the rush of having to get things done, the pressure of always getting work done. 
and just working with some amazing artists. He routinely was calling out Bill Sienkiewicz and Neil Adams and John Burns, and those are kind of some of the people that he looked up to. He loved working on G.I. Joe, which was his big, big break into comics, but he always felt that it was just a little bit like, good seller, it doesn't really get you noticed by the fans. So he always wanted to get back into superheroes so he could be noticed a bit more and his work would be appreciated by the real fans. I wish I could find a little bit more on some of his stuff later, but this was a really great article to look at. If you get a chance, check it out. It's Comics Interviews number 22. So I haven't been able to find out too much on him except that he was a prolific inker for mostly Marvel. He did a lot on G.I. Joe. He actually was an inker for a long time on a number of G.I. Joe issues. I think I've got it here from 27 all the way up to 63. So he did a lot of work on there. He was very consistent on a lot of different Marvel books. Did some Marvel superheroes. I did some Barbie. Did some got over to DC. Did some work in DC just a little bit. But I haven't been able to find out much more about him. <laughs> He's a blank. I was wondering, do, have you heard of this guy at all? I have not. So I wish I could help you more. On it. Now, I can talk about Tom Morgan, Steve Lytle, but I can't talk about this one. I'm sorry. Yeah. The, the only other nice, interesting thing I saw was that he was also the anchor on the first two issues of the Vision and Scarlet Witch series, which is in the news a little bit wow. now because of the new Vision and Scarlet Witch TV show, which heavily adapted some of the stuff from those books. But yeah, it's very interesting that somebody who was very prolific for a long period of time and had been written about, had done some interviews around G.I. Joe and was part of the G.I. Joe universe, heavily in the G.I. Joe universe, you would think that I would be able to find out more information about him, but I have not. Because of that, I said, well, let me also take a look a little bit at Steve Lytle because he has been in the news a lot lately and he has done a couple of covers, the same covers that I was just talking about with this issue and the issue before. You kind of came in hot with him anyways, and you have a good understanding, especially from the DC side. What can you tell us about Steve Lytle? Well, he was a big, big name in the 80s. He started over in the Marvel world and, and did some stuff there and did some stuff with uh, DC as well. He, he kind of was all, all over for a while. Uh, eventually, he, and I may have some of that wrong as far as when he was in Marvel. I don't know. Either way, the, the point is where he really became known was in the Legion. He took over after Keith Giffen, because Keith Giffen had a huge run where he was the well-known penciler on Legion. Steve Lotto comes in. Uh, I don't know if you you may have heard people refer to the Baxter series of Legion mm -hmm. of Superheroes. That's when it became an even bigger name for a while and, at, at its peak. And he was the primary artist in there for a long time. He did a whole bunch of covers for them as well. He's also did a whole bunch of Who's Who entries, and that was something that a lot of people were picking up. He helped launch the Doom Patrol book, which eventually, now not his run, but eventually got taken over by Grant Morrison, which is the famous run there. He did a bunch of covers for classic X-Men. So yeah. he had a long run. He eventually kind of settled into a role of a cover artist because his stuff was so pinup worthy. It was absolutely phenomenal. And he's still been drawing stuff up until recently. It's very, it was shocking to hear about his passing away. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say I'm his friend, but I was his friend on Facebook kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And saw a lot of the stuff he would post and, you know, one or two exchanges here or there just on a comment thread or whatever. Seemed like a super nice guy and an amazing artist. I mean, seriously, Google Legion and Steve Lytle and you'll be blown away by his work. A lot of people were saying that it was, that, like I said, it was very shocking. Uh, the times we live in, it was a cardiac arrest that was brought on due to COVID-19. So once again, COVID-19 rears his ugly head at us. A lot of people are saying that apparently he was one of those guys who kind of became frustrated with the type of work that was being put out there and the type of work that he was doing. And whereas a lot of people can just sit down, crank out 
lot of content might not be the best content but they can crank out a lot of content he started to find that there was money to be made in the cover arts area mm. and he was doing a lot of cover pages uh, some fans really noticed really enjoyed but kind of was one of those creators artists he's one of those the artists who liked the work they would notice him and he'd got a lot of respect inside the community i thought it'd be easier to find a lot of information on a lot of the people who the new creative team but i'm finding that it's hard it's like this creative team doesn't have a lot of big names on it. Right. So it's it's very difficult to find any any information about the creative team at all. But I'm going to keep doing this. And I think I I believe that next issue I'm going to start touching on Tom Morgan a little bit. But well, Can I talk about Tom Morgan for just a second? Sure, since sure. I'm go here? for it. Yeah, so please. I, I, he was pretty prolific back in the 90s. And I discovered him here on Power Pack. Because the first place I ever saw him was around, again, issue 60 when I start, picked it up again. And... You know, we can talk if, if later about the art. I mean, but I, I fell in love with his work here for various reasons. And then he went over to Alpha Flight, and I loved his work there. He also went on to Extreme Justice, which featured Nova. I mean, Firestorm. And ah. um, he reminds... All right, I am going to talk a little about his artwork here. Fine. Uh, arguably, is he a highly skilled artist at this point in his career right here and now in his power pack? Eh. Probably not. I mean, it's a bit rough, and it's very 90s, but that's okay. I, there's still stuff in here to love. He goes on to become a very accomplished artist. Another guy I'm friends with on Facebook. You should see the work he's doing nowadays. It's unbelievable. It's it's gorgeous. His work at this point, when in Power Pack, kind of reminds me a little bit of like Carmen Infantino's work in his mm -hmm. later years when he was doing the Flash towards the end, especially Jack. Jack looks like somebody that Infantino would have drew in like the mid-80s or something like that. Again, I think a lot of it comes from, a, I'm a big fan of uh, Alpha Flight. You guys at home have no idea what I'm talking about, but you guys, I don't know, if I move my head, you can see up here is uh, all my Alpha Flight statues uh, that I have way up on top of this bookshelf. I don't know. Anyway. Hey, I, uh, I, I can tell something's up there. I, I got myself a nearly complete run of Alpha Flight from back in the day. Or nice. I, I stopped, my last issue of Alpha Flight is where I stopped collecting comic books before I went to college. So... I so. was a big Alpha Flight fan back in the day myself. I read Alpha Flight as well. I don't know how big my collection is because time passes and so do my memories. <laughs> Size matters, Jeff. Size matters. But um, <laughs> anyway, so Tom Morgan drew some of those. And I just, I, I like Tom Morgan's work. Yes, I can sit here and nitpick it all day as well, but especially this Power Pack era. But uh, there's something about it that, you know, y you like what you like. Yes, I agree. Speaking of liking what we like, Jeff likes science. This is a fact. This is a fact it's we true. all know about. So I'm <laughs> going to give him a moment to expound on his like of science. Jeff? In this issue, we have multiple characters that have been knocked out by a variety of means. And this got me thinking. What causes a person to get knocked out? Well, when the head is moved violently, the brain moves around in the skull. The heaviest part of the brain puts a lot of pressure on the brainstem, which can be twisted and pulled during the blow as the rest of the brain moves out of place. That twisting and pulling can cause brain circuits to break or lose their insulation or get kinked up, and that shuts off parts of the brain. If the part of the brainstem responsible for consciousness is affected, then you get knocked out. So there you have it. Mama might have said it, but I would avoid it if possible. And that is this week's Science Corner. Mama said knock you out. <laughs> that was the reference. Was you got we all got it, Rick. You didn't have to just go yeah. that far. Just, you can leave something to the imagination. A little bit of the old boudoir I was going to say, I'm going to knock you into the refrigerator gallery, but you all killed my segue, oh. so fine. Oh. Fine. <laughs> 
final thoughts. I'm gonna fridge you out. <laughs> Mama said fridge you out. Magnet said fridge you out. Put art up. Alright, power thoughts. We're gonna go and go to the refrigerator gallery where we would like to put all the pieces of art in this book. And I think Shag's gonna put a lot of his favorite artist, Tom Morgan's art, all over the refrigerator. But we need to find out what we will think is great in this issue. So we're going to start with our guest, the irredeemable Shag. Tell us what your funny backup art is in this book. All right. On page 17, top right-hand panel, I call this Roid Rage Alex and Jack. (laughs) (laughs) Just for extra fun, look at their ankles. Oh, yeah. They're They're broken. They got the, ooh, they've got the Leslie Nielsen disease. They've got that vitamin D deficiency. Rob Liefeld ankles, I I think they ran out of time, and so they called Rob Liefeld up, and he came over and helped out with the feet. I mean, it it, it even looks like like Jack is bench-pressing Friday, you know? Yeah. I know. It looks like he's got a big, like, just weight that he's going to chuck at somebody. I literally did look at that and said the same thing, where I'm like, he's just hauling a big old, oh, that's Friday. He's going to throw Friday at somebody? My goodness. Yeah, Yeah, they are... Uh, jacked out. They, you know, they, they, yeah, they, they don't look like kids. They look like very muscular adults. I, I, I can go, a, not so much this issue, but I know the next issue. I started looking and really looking at some of the art, and I was like, I found some art I really like that Tom Morgan did. And I was like, Why am I so angry when I see his art? These are the pictures that tell me why I'm angry. Sure. He can't draw kids. He can't draw kids, and fair enough, a lot of people can't. But he is drawing them as small, muscular superheroes, and it's like, here's he the problem. He does okay with Franklin, and he does okay with Katie. Julie is. She's a middle ground. I think he. I, I'm going to say that he does okay with with her. I heard the hair but kills it. The hair, yeah, the hair, <laughs> the hair murders all uh, semblance of forgiveness in that regard. But yeah, uh, Alex and Jack, it's it's just ridiculous. It's like they zero percent body fat, just <laughs> yeah, roided out, yeah. just extreme. They do not, it, yeah, very extreme. They Muscle they are missing some. On. Yeah, they are missing some pouches, <laughs> some cybernetic arms, and eye patch guns. Well, keep in mind is what they're missing. You're in the '90s now, so we yes, we are. we are. This is the right era for it. Now he can certainly draw uh, adult women. We know that. Yeah, so, and he likes to he, clearly. He very clearly. But not being able to draw kids might be a problem if you're drawing power pack. Yep. Jeff, what do you have for your funny backup? My funny backup is on the previous page, on page sixteen. And I call it Beaver Boy Bites the Border. (laughs) I thought about that one, too. (laughs) You you can't not pick that one. This is the right-hand center panel of a Franklin interlude where he's dreaming. And it just shows his head rising, you know, up out of the border. And he's got giant beaver teeth. Not even even bifurcated. It's just... One big top tooth, one big bottom tooth, <laughs> and he's rising up like Jaws, about to introduce himself on a uh, poster, and it looks like he's about to take a big old chomp out of the bottom of the border of this panel that and, he's in. And his his face is not a human face. It's very animalistic. Oh, yeah. Very no. animalistic. At no point, I think, has Franklin, and almost Katie for that matter, too, had a human face in this current run. Right. Of the issues. The younger you get, the more near human you become, where you're just like, you know how children have kind of a face <laughs> that has, you know, like you threw Play-Doh yeah. at a yeah. wall and you kind of knuckled in some features, you know, yeah, yeah, a face. Yeah, yeah. 
speaking of faces, let's go all the way over to page 26, and I'll talk about my backup one. And it, again, is Franklin's head. And I call this one, why, yes, I am happy being a Cheshire cat. Because this is the, <laughs> the floating head, the disembodied head of Franklin just smiling. It's all black, and there's Franklin's head just smiling. Hi, I'm happy that I don't have a body. Yeah. It's all good. Bodies weigh you down. Given that they're drawing him in tidy whiteies, maybe he's happy to have those gone. Yeah, this is true. This is true. Yeah, and the fact that when he did have a body, his head was the size of his torso. Yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe there's a reason for him to be happy in this picture, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Let's go to the funny top ones. Back top of the order. Shag, what do you have? All right, page 30. So you're going to have to go towards the end of the issue there. Top left-hand panel. I call this Zorak wants his instruments back for his late night band on Space Ghost Coast to Coast. <laughs> As he's, uh, so you've got the, got the Star Stalker there and Nova's flying away with the very unfortunately named Stimulator. And uh, he, the, the, the beast is it wants it back and he's mad. But he looks like Zorak to me from, from Space Coast. Yeah, very much yeah. so. That's awesome. That is a great pick. I always love uh, Brax. I used to be a space pirate. One <laughs> <laughs> day, bump, dumb as a doornail. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's fun making fun of people's art. Okay, Jeff, go on. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just thinking about Space Coast Coast to Coast now. You're welcome. That's, uh, you're welcome. Yeah, you're very thankful on that because that was uh, I spent a lot of good time with that. Okay, so my favorite joke one is on page two. Two. And I call it, this cloud has seen some stuff, man. <laughs> and it is the bottom left-hand panel, and it shows Franklin's in the background, but uh, Alex is in cloud form, and he just, he's got that, not even thousand yard, he's got that thousand acre y- stare going on. He has seen some stuff, man. He's seen some stuff. And here's, here's, the, here's the nuts thing, is look at this picture, and the panel right above it is Alex in human form. Yeah. Those two faces look nothing alike. No, they don't. Well, he he looks different throughout the whole issue. Later on, he has hardcore skater hair, which yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. which comes in later. Yeah, yeah. His appearance fluctuates the most in this, from a near kid's body to a meth addict <laughs> to a jacked adult superhero. He is. All over the board. Well, let's go ahead and let's look a little bit more at some of these pictures of of Alex being all over the board by going to page six, because I'm looking at the middle bottom panel, but we can look at all three panels to see the difference between Alex and these. (laughs) But I call this middle panel of, oh, my God, there are mirrors on the ceiling. (laughs) Okay, So Alex is is using these mirrors are kind of like on the ceiling and he's seeing this giant bald spot right in the middle of his noggin and he's freaking out about it. But I'm freaking out on the fact that why does this spaceship have mirrors on its ceiling. You shouldn't ask these questions. I shouldn't ask these questions. We have been mocking, we've been mocking, we've been mocking. There is still some good art in here. Let's talk about the good art. Once again, Shag, what do you got for the good art? All right, back to page two. So after the thousand yard stare, the panel right before that, so the top panel, right-hand side on page two, Alex has instinctually turned into cloud form and Elon energy blast is just bursting through his stomach and flying out the back. And I just see I that I thought the panel looked great. I love yeah, the way it's good. The cloud shape is there. You can still tell it's Alex, the the gap in his stomach. I just I was very pleased with it. No, I do like that. I think it's a good visual representation. Instead of just automatically cloud all over the place, it's still body shaped and you're just seeing it dissipate out from that point. So I, I agree with you. I would not I like that one too. I like it. Jeff, give us your backup, a best one. Page 
15. And I call it Ships, Star Stalkers, and Stasis Beams. And this is the uh, bottom panel, the bottom third of the page, really. And it shows Friday is landing in Central Park shooting a stasis beam at the tight-briefed Star Stalker. I thought it looked cool, especially the right-hand half of this where it's Star Stalker, because they kind of, with the stasis beam, like, reversed his colors, so kind of gave him, you know, like, a Mr. Negative kind of appearance with Ooh. the white and green, and I thought that just looked really cool. I like it when they play with colors. I like, you know, backlighting, all sorts of stuff. And I thought this was a interesting coloring that they did on him. Yeah, I can, I can go with you on that one. I, I almost like the one at the top of the page where he's coming it's in. It's good, too. Yeah, I think there's a lot more definition there, but I do understand why you're going with one you choose. I like the panels as well. But question about it. Friday's wings seem to have, at least from my memory, they've gotten much bigger. Is that a... Yeah, yeah. Friday was destroyed <gasps> at one point in time. and no! <laughs> Friday gets destroyed. She got better. She got better. Uh, Friday gets destroyed a lot, but Friday got destroyed... At the end of issue number 25, she actually sacrificed herself to save Franklin. Between 25 and 47, 48, something like that, she was being rebuilt on Camellia. Mm. And at 50, she was unveiled, and, and they actually brought Power Pack back and put her into an upgraded body that can do all sorts of stuff. I mean, it's an uh. absolute it's just militaristic vehicle now. So Yeah, okay. it's a beast. Yeah. Let's just say faster, stronger, better than before. And, and it can do a lot of morphing into different shapes. So yeah. any, any it kind has of, more shape changeability. The, the nice thing about that is they kind of said... Okay, it can kind of do anything it wants here. It's like, there's no continuity now. It's like, whatever it looks yeah. like, it looks like, it's fine. That's, yeah, hey, it, nothing wrong with that. As long as they go, look, it's Friday, they could put any shape they want. <laughs> I've got my backup art. So on page 19, we've got at the bottom right-hand corner, I've got Julie just doing this massive rainbow circle around the Star Stalker. And I choose a lot of these where Julie is doing a lot of rainbows around things. I think they mm -hmm. look cool. This one looks really good. I think this is really where the colorist and the artist are really stretching themselves. You probably have to follow it through, but it looks like they've got the trail pretty well correct, and it is pretty impressive looking. You know, It does look good. You know, earlier you mentioned the Starstalker on the cover looked intimidating. Mm -hmm. I think the Starstalker here looks intimidating. I mean, that... He looks savage, like he is ready to bite her. And uh, yeah. I, I think he looks great. I, I love this panel. Yeah, especially with the tongue kind of sticking out a little bit more there. Yeah. You can see a lot of motion in the movements too. So, yeah. Let's move back up to you and find what the top ones are. What's your top one? All right. Page 20, bottom right-hand panel. Nova is reborn as Firestorm. <laughs> yeah. Now, yes, there's some this. joke there with the Firestorm. But, I mean, she's got the jazz hands going. She looks great. She's excited because her powers are out. Yes, Tom Morgan likes to draw beautiful women, so well job, good job there. But she just looks great, I think. And also, I like kind of the, the panel design. It's not a regular shape panel. It's even got a notch out of it. I think it looks great. He used the space effectively. I, I think we, I think we should say too is a long time ago. I was trying to figure out a good issue to bring Shag on. I kind of shot in the dark. I saw this was called Fire. This issue was called Fire. So I said, "Hey, he's the Fire Fire and Water Network. I'm going to bring him on this show." I swear to God, I did not read the issue and I did not realize that the character would look so much like Firestorm. I, I didn't. I it was it was an absolute fluke and yet it fits perfectly. As yeah. as it, Jake has disappeared behind his action figure of Firestorm. <laughs> yeah. No, it is it is pretty ridiculous how uh, well those sync up, and it's also ridiculous that this is my uh top Woo! pick of art as well, and I call it Superstar. 
So I, yeah, I stayed away from choosing this one because I was sure that Chegg was going to choose it. Firestorm and an attractive woman. Hmm, this is tough. Mm, <laughs> this is tough. I'm going to say mine is on page 31, and this is called "I Is Spiky." <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, that's cool. This is, again, Firestorm. And yep. this is Firestorm after Ooh. she has turned evil. And so she is kneeling on the ground. She's all kinds of cosmic flame. She's got spikes growing out of her. Her costume has changed. And she's got an evil smile on her. Yep. It's a kind of a cool-looking image. They threw eyeliner on her as well. <laughs> yeah. That really heavy eyeliner to really sell the fact that she's evil now. Because... Makeup is the evil, <laughs> yes. I guess. Artistically, it looks phenomenal. It absolutely does. You're right. Yeah, yeah, it looks sweet. Because it looks also, really good. Another thing that we haven't talked about. Well, I guess I did when I mentioned Jack earlier, glowing up. It's tough to draw something that's really bright and shiny. And Tom Morgan has done yeah. that effectively yeah. by with the different shading on there, which represents glowing sort of or, or almost you know reflectiveness. And it looks phenomenal. It looks great. Now, from a plot point of view, it makes no sense, but that's okay. Oh no. <laughs> Plots all over there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a sta- you know, you've read comics before. <laughs> oh, why'd that happen? Um, right. Because <laughs> because I thought it'd be cool. I, I w- okay, so they're evil now. Yeah, for how long? Forever until they're not. <laughs> I was curious though. Is the, the the shiny effect? How much of that is the artist? How much of that is the colorist? How much of that is the inker? Well, I think it's got to start with a penciler because like let, let's just look at her legs for example. Mm. The 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 intricate lines and shapes that. You know, are representing the yellow areas versus the white areas. So the penciler has got to designate what part and how that shine works. The inker comes in behind him, yeah. and the colorist has to follow. But I think it starts with the penciler. Now, Tom Morgan yeah. inked a yeah. lot of this himself, too. By the way, it's true, true. But I, I'm going to I'm going to give our other spotlighted person, Andy, a, a few nods here too. Here I think I would say that something like this, we really are going to get the team effort. But give all uh, praise to uh, Tom too for starting the process. Uh, now, we've been mocking pretty much everybody, including each other, all day long. But let's go ahead and continue that, shall we, with some rubber and glue moments. What was the best or most childish insult in the book, not with our conversations with each other? So, Jeff, let's start with you, because you're bald. (laughs) That is a uh, way of picking who goes firsties. Not on this call, but anyway. (laughs) I've never seen that in a board game, where it's just like, normally it's, who's the oldest? Who bought the game? This is like... Hey, you're follically challenged. Why don't you go first? Uh, (laughs) My backup rubber and glue moment is Franklin, I guess, just let himself get shot with an energy bolt. And he got knocked out. And Katie's running to him and chewing all the scenery that she can chew on because she's a hungry girl and needs to chew that scenery as hard as possible. And, uh, it, you know, it's just like, oh, no, if anything happened to you, it'd be so sad. But then she starts to berate him where it's like, you always think you know what's going to happen before it does just because you've got tattletale powers. Why didn't you know this time? And she goes, but you know, above that, she's like, you always think you're so smart. It's like, you think you're so smart. That is just a childish, childish thing. You always think you're so smart. Yeah. So I saw it as that. It, it's not a dog breath or anything, but you always think you're so smart. She is She is mocking the injured and incapacitated. Yeah. High marks, Katie. <laughs> High marks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, well done. Well done. Yeah. Good kick job, them, you. Kick them all the down. That's, that's yeah. the spirit. That's the team spirit. How about you? What, what's a good insult you found in here? On page 31, yeah. when Jack yells... You nailed the bum right in the kisser. <laughs> yep, yep, nailed the, the bum. bum. Yeah, it, right out of Rocky. He, I, I, he's a little too young to really be watching what Rocky, <laughs> I would say. But, but 
I, yeah, I think he picked it up from there. You know, he's got arms like Rocky. <laughs> yes, he does. Yeah. And he saw it because of for Rocky's coach because he used to watch the old Batman uh, and he liked the Penguin. And so he's like, I gotta see the coach. He's gonna there be like go. Batman or like the Penguin off Batman. It's gonna be great. This is not Batman. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, what's he doing to that cow carcass? <laughs> <laughs> well, on page seven, we've got. Alex being Alex, because that's all he ever is, and he is not happy with the situation that they've got three people who are incapacitated now. He has no control of the situation. He is snapping at everybody. He's also mad that he's losing his hair, and so he's just blah, 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 blah. And Jack comes back and says, Youch, what a grouch. What's gotten into him? Calling him a grouch. Mm-hmm. It's a classic. It's a classic. Yeah. Keep, yep, yep. keep it's in a good Sesame one. Street. Nice. You bet you leave it. <laughs> Go back to your garbage can there, Alex, you grouch. All right, back to you, Jeff. What do you have? My top rubber and glue moment is on page 19. And it is a Star Stalker quote. He's being attacked by clouds. Julie's just swirling him, trying to do a stun lock with him. And Alex is a cloud around him and stuff. And I just love the fact he's all, ha, 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 ha. First clouds and now rainbows. Are these the great defenses of your world? And I'm just like, first clouds and rainbows. It's just, I just thought it was funny as all get out because it's just like, I'm going to attack with clouds and rainbows. Well, he, he came down here. He's like, I heard that there's something called the Defenders. Where are the Defenders? Yeah. The greatest non team of superheroes ever. And now I've got clouds and rainbows. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 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 I, I got you. I got you. I just, I just liked it. I gotta, had to give it to Star Stalker. It's for a nice that. dig. It's a, it's a really good dig, nice dig pointing out the, the uh, inefficiencies of their attacks. It works. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. What, a, what about you, Shag? What is your final insult that you've got? Pa- mine is on page 21. It's Julie. Mm-hmm. And when she goes, this is what I think of you, monster. <laughs> now, there's someone else on this podcast who's read it better than me. But still. Yep, yep. That's fair. That's fair. No, I like that one. And I'm going to follow that up with Starstalker's response, Uh-oh. which is, ha, ha, ha. I'll be glad to be finished with this miserable mud ball. Because if it's great to insult one person, it is great to insult the entire planet. <laughs> but wait, that's where I keep all my stuff. Ah, that's, that's right. Where my tick. stuff is kept. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. Let's move on. It is time to take these kids and put them where they belong, either with stars or detentions, where we identify the child who was the best or worst in this issue. You all have a chance to go first. I'm going to take my chance to go first. We always start with the worst. Mm. I'm going to actually go. With Katie with this one, amazingly enough. Yeah, I'm going to go with Katie. And the reason why is she was regressing. I watched her in this and she just became more and more of a little child instead of instead of going up at all in age, instead of seeing any kind of characterization going up. It's just she seemed to be really whining at the beginning and really and like not paying attention, not thinking things through. And then she kind of, as we've already mentioned, disappears. Her and Julie just kind of disappear into the background. She's just kind of there. So I just I did not like her in this issue at all. Other people may have done worse things, but she just wasn't there. And it was like, what's going on? What's going no, on? It's a fair cop. I could get that. It's It was hard to get anybody to shine in this one. Yeah. So you, you could kind of push any button and come up with a detention child if you really wanted to. So Her absence, uh, as you described, could be described yeah. as skipping school, which should be worth a detention. So there you go. Which should be worth a detention. Yeah, yeah there you yeah. go. Shay, who do you yeah. have for the worst? Oh, I was going to let Jeff go first, but I'm happy to step in front of him. Ha. I think you should. I th- I, I'm going to let you go first because you're bald. Perfect. Okay, that works. 
Uh, worst for me has got to be Alex. I mean, he is so full of whining. Uh, just mm-hmm. the worst to me. He's so irritating in this issue. I realize, again, he's going through a journey, and he's got a destination and a few issues. But, man, he's irritating in this one. I usually pick Alex because and I was like, I'm going to choose somebody else besides Alex. Cause My notes actually say, when isn't Alex the worst? But on your show. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hate to be controversial on this, uh, but I'm with Shag. Oh, God. Yeah, 100%. I can, complete, I can completely go. I I yeah. have no problem at all with you guys picking Alex. I think Alex would be my second choice. It's just I happen to get to the, the end of the issue. I'm like, Katie. But at the same time, I'm yeah. like, nope, I can go with you guys on Alex. <laughs> Here's one of the problems that I have is that everybody's like, oh, there's nothing we can do. It's like, no, there's tons of stuff you can do. It's just you've forgotten uh, two-thirds of mm-hmm. your power sets. Yeah. De-grab him, fling him into space, heavy grab him and, you know, slightly put him into the earth. So that's cool. But it's just like you, you know, Alex, you have bubble force fields. Yeah. Uh, you could obscure his vision. You can, you you know, you could try a jackhammer on sensitive eyeball parts or something. Force field. You have force fields. Come on. Those are important. Hey, destroyer slash energizer, because it seems like they maybe are going to the energizer name, even though they were destroyer before. <laughs> it's hard to tell. But it's like, my powers aren't doing anything. I just shoot them with energy. It's like you have a reverse version of that. Yeah. There's other things you guys can be doing. Take energy. Right. Take it away. Take the energy away from them. He'll be like, hey, I'm all small and hungry again. It's like the writer uh, forgot half of the power sets. Okay, uh, yeah, so it's like on that, the other yeah. side, who do we think is the best? Who wants to say their best three, two, one? Three, two, one, Jack. Jack. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Uh, he had a plan at the end. He was smart at the beginning. He seemed to be the only one that was competent. He absorbed yep. Elon's energy inside the ship as well. I mean, yeah, he, he saved the day repeatedly. Yeah. Yes. It's like uh, we are going to take all the leadership things and put them over onto. Yeah. He, a lot of the time, was the one doing stuff. Jack, that's all we got to say on that one. Next thing we got to talk about is top grades. We need to evaluate this issue against the rest of the series. Now, you've been listening to our show, Shake, so you can play along with the game as well as you can. We'll see what happens. I, yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm going to have to uh, I give some general stuff, but I don't think I can pinpoint a number because I, I don't know. Well, I've listened to every episode. I haven't read oh, it. Well, you can play along with us. You can help us when we come to our inevitable impasse. But looking at what we've got here, <laughs> we've got up at number one. It ain't moving this issue or anytime soon. That's going to be Power Pack 42, The Revenge of the Boogeyman. Going down to number 10, we've got Power Pack number 43. That's where the boogeyman must die. Going down to number 20 spot. Still, uh, we've got Trapped. That's where the kids go slutty and Alex and Johnny rival fight. Oh, no. And then we go down to spot number 30. This is School Days. That's where the boogeyman. Ah, boogeyman again. He's all over the place on this. He kidnaps Katie and the kids sneak out of school to rescue her. Number 40. Now we're getting into the right spot. Maybe a little lower, though. (laughs) This is where Alex burns down a crack house in order to destroy all the drugs. It's a good plan in power pack number 31. Going down to number 50. This is the Breakfast Club, where they break into the Avengers Mansion and argue about telling their parents about their powers. Man, if they did that, that would solve one of the plots in this book. Going down even further, all the way to number 60, is the book before this, Childhood's End, where Nova and Starstalker fight each other and the kids meet the Elon. And on 65, (laughs) the Axe of Vengeance issue, Power Pack number 56. The less said about that, the better. Okay, folks, anywhere between... 60 and 65 is where I'm saying. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't think that this one is better than the last issue. I don't know. That Thanksgiving issue wasn't much. Mm, don't even start with me on that one, man. <laughs> we are not. My ceiling is number 60, and I'm willing to go probably down around. In preparation, I actually read the issue before this and, and yeah. this one, and I read the one after. So uh, nothing about yeah. that one at this point, right. But uh, I think this one's better than the one before. Really? Not by a lot, but I, I do think yeah. it's slightly better than the hmm. one before. I am thinking right around uh, Childhood End, number 56, you know, the previous issue. Yeah, right around there is appropriate. Okay, so if you think that this one is better than the previous issues, let's go up to 59, and that is... Thor number 363, This Cursed Earth, where Thor and Beta Ray Bill use Katie as a living weapon to destroy Curse. What do you think about that? Well, to be fair, if I remember, the Thor issue scored low, not because the issue wasn't amazing, but because they the way they used Katie, right? Right, right. It was the volume of the Power Pack was in there. Power Pack was in there I, uh, for a very short period of time where they right. kind of popped in. They said, hey, we're Power Pack. How can we help? And Thor said eat my hammer and his hammer and then shoot that monster and right. then, I don't know, all of you might die. That's the price I'm willing to pay. Okay, Mr. Thor, it hurts. Well, it's going to do that. It hurts more. Yeah. Now shoot him. Okay, I'll shoot him. Everything's better. So, uh... <laughs> I would still say that that one's a little bit better. I agree. It's, it's Simonson, right? I mean... Yeah, yeah. That, that was a Walt. That was a Walt, Absol Walt right? Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I would say... Between those two is where I'd put it, but it's your show. All right, I, I can I can be like I said. I would say it would be below, but you're coming in here as a guest. You think it's above. Jeff thinks it's above. I will go with both of your opinion on this one, and we will make this the new number sixty. So there we go. <laughs> and it had firestorm, so you know that, that's a plus. Not firestorm. <laughs> <laughs> Joke, you're wrong, but that's okay. Joke does not God stop being funny. All right, <laughs> let's go ahead and talk about our beers now. Speaking of fire, we have been drinking Illuminated Northwest IPA by Everybody's Brewing. Jeff, how are you liking this one? When I started on this and I was say, taking the first slug of it and I said, oh, my tongue is like a slug with salt on it and it's shrinking in on itself. As it progressed and as the beer warmed up, it became less face sucky. <laughs> so uh, it's it's not bad. No. It is uh, fairly easy drinking, especially for an IPA. Yeah. The Pine flavor isn't, it's still there. It's probably just as overpowering, except my taste buds have been inured to it due to volume. Yeah. It's a easy drinking, pleasant IPA. I think it's quite okay. It's quite passable. Yeah, I, I'm agreeing with you. I think that the, the flavor has remained constant, which is pretty impressive because as the beers get warmer, mm, IPAs change. But this one mm -hmm. has remained constant. I'm still enjoying drinking it. It's not hitting that hatred of hops for me. So I'm willing to give this the benefit of the doubt. And I'm, I mean, we're anywhere around 3.5 or 4 with this. I, because I'm still enjoying it, I'll go ahead and go with a 4. I'm, I'm still enjoying drinking this. I'm going to stick with a 3.5. For me, it's a 3.5 beer. I was It was tickling the 4s, but I said, no, IPA, you stay at 3.5 where I know you live. So <laughs> Now, of course, we have to ask our guest, how are you liking your Morgan & Coke? Well, all right. Captain Morgan is a stock rum. Nothing fancy. Yeah. It's not going to be top shelf. It's not going to blow you away. But you know what? It's absolutely reliable. And you know what? Yep. It's so prolific because it tastes damn good. So I'm quite happy with it. It was my uh, drink of choice in college. So it was nice to return to it here. I will say you talked about first sips and all that. My first sip was, I forgot I like the taste of this. <laughs> and so uh, it's definitely a 3.5. It's, it, you know, is it of a high quality? No, but it's darn tasty. So it's a 3.5. But you're going to give it a hey, sailor. 
<laughs> I was gonna say you want to move it up to that four level. What you do is do. what you do is you get the the Coke, <laughs> the Mexican Coke, the ones with the real uh, pure cane sugar. Yeah, yeah. That's where it moves it up. I, if I had now, I know everyone swears by throwing a lime in there. I actually prefer throwing a lemon yeah. in with Captain and Coke. <laughs> it's uh, I like that. If I'd had a lemon in the house, we might be talking a four. All right. And that brings us to the kids' perspective. And that's where we talk to Rick's daughter, Carrie, about the issue we just covered. So, Rick and Carrie, please take it away. Hello, Carrie. Hello, Daddy. How are you today? I'm good. And you? Well, I'm doing pretty good. It is a nice sunny Saturday. A little cold, but not too bad. Nope, not too bad. Well, I have brought you in to read another Power Pack book. It's kind of like the thing that we do, right? Yeah. What'd you think of this one? I'm not sure if it was my favorite comic. (laughs) Why not? I don't know. It's just like the other one. It just didn't feel as right as some other comics did. What's missing for you? What don't you like in it? Well, one of the things was that I guess I didn't like the artwork and how the kids at one point the kids all their costumes were from the second time their powers switched the artwork was messing up with what kid had which costume yeah what else is there other things you didn't like yeah there's also the fact that for some reason franklin was dressed up as a robber yeah that was inside his like dream or his vision of things that he had to do and he was dressed up like a robber and it got a little confusing right Yeah. And then at the end, when Frankie Ray turned evil... She sucked in all that energy and that somehow turned her evil, right? Yeah. And you didn't like that? Mm Mm-hmm. Why not? I mean, it's another thing they had to fight, but also I thought at least they could move on and just go to Galactus, but nope. (laughs) So you said there was something else that was bothering you about this as well, right? With the the plots changing all the time? Yeah, the things were changing everywhere. So it would start a bit of a story and then it would switch? Yeah, it's kept going here and then there, kind of like a bouncy ball. Why didn't you like that? It gets confusing sometimes when you do it a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. Was there anything in the book that you enjoyed? Well, at least we know Katie and Franklin have a friendship. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think she would react that much. When Franklin got hurt at the beginning? Yeah. Yeah, she was a bit over the top, wasn't she? Yeah. That's not really how Katie's been portrayed in the past, has it? Yeah. Hmm. So, not one of your favorite books, huh? No. What do you think of the cover of the book? I guess it's action-filled. Yeah, there's a lot of action on it. Do you like the drawing? I mean, the drawing's a bit different than what we saw before with John Bogdanov, right? Uh Uh-huh. The interesting thing is, it looks like Jack, he, because he's facing uh, Frankie Ray, and he has his fist up, and he looks like he's ready to shoot an energy blast, it really looks like he's trying to, like, they're in, like, this combat. Yeah, they're not facing the right way. It's, it's a little odd, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think you've pulled out a lot of the same problems we've had with this book. Is there anything else you want to say? No. All right. Thank you very much for your time, Carrie. Welcome. I love you. Love you, too. Ah, Carrie, you always have the best insights on things. Thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Shout out time! We love to recognize those listeners that take the time to write in, leave us a review, and say what they will about the things we've done. And this is for episode 72, where we interviewed Judy and John Bogdanov. 
That was awesome. <sighs> you know, I got a Christmas card from them. It's nice. Oh, it's nice. That's awesome. It's nice. Yeah. I got a restraining order. <laughs> Aaron Roush. Al Sedano in the Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Ben Fung Lung Tung. Charlie Rose. Chris Lydon. Chuck Gears. Comics in the Golden Age. Damian Drywood Whiter. Darren Sutherland. Ed 209. Fractal. Gene Hendricks. Green Lantern HG. Hal Jordan. Hoover Jeremiah in the Four Million Years Later podcast. Jeff Pollier. Jeremy Daw. Keith Baker. Kyle Sinelli. Limax 7. Max Trevor. Michael Nertz. New Warriors Talk. Nicholas Prom and Captain Freakout Psychedelic Radio Podcast. Sailor Bear Zodar. Sean Ross and the Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast. Tim Price, the Podcrasher, and his podcast, The Outcasters. Zach Rabaroff. Waffles and his podcast, Mario and Waffles Talk About Things. The worst comic podcast ever with Jerry McMullen. And also, I would like to thank Shag once again for being our show. Shag, if the lovely listeners out there want to find you, where could they possibly find you? Oh, well, you're too kind. It has been a real joy being here. I really appreciate it. If somebody wants to hear more of me, and from that list of names we just read out, I've actually met a good chunk of those people in person. <laughs> so I know a few of them already. Uh, you can check me out over on the Firewater Podcast Network. It's a network dedicated to all kinds of various pop culture things. I primarily hang around on the comic book shows where I talk about Aquaman and Firestorm, Who's Who, Justice League International, Justice Society, a Little Digest Comics, all kinds of things. But there is a show for just about everyone over there. And we have lots of guest stars, including, um, well, Rick's on there sometimes, too. But. <laughs> so that's firewaterpodcast.com. And be sure to check out the other shows that we are on, our junior agent submissions on the MI6 Rogue Agent episodes of On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, and on Monthly Monday Movie Muckabouts, my wonderful show on the Longbox Crusade Network. And we have some merchandise available on Redbubble. Go to redbubble.com and search for Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Jeff and Rick Present is a bi-weekly self-produced podcast recorded in front of a live studio audience that is somehow stretched out, social distancingly safe, between Florida and Oregon. If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff and Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word at gmail.com, or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. Also on our YouTube channel, Jeff and Rick Present. And if you would like to support our show, we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word. We are a proud supporter of the Hero Initiative, and we will be donating 10% of our Patreon donations to this great cause. We encourage everyone to give what they can to this worthwhile organization that helps the creators who provide us with such great content. Go to heroinitiative.org to find out more. Please rate and review us wherever you can. Tell your friends about us or share your love for us on social media. And as always, we want to thank the powerful people in our packs. My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. My fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. My wife, the irrepressible Gina. My stepson, the rambunctious rascal. And my daughter, the precocious princess. We, we love, love you. you. Until next time. Costumes off. Our theme music is 80s action. Also featured in this episode is Neon Kaiser Horizon. All music is by Kevin McLeod at TopTech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Power pack, it's our book. Here is I have no idea why it takes me so long to edit things. I don't understand. We fart around a lot. I'm a segue machine.
All right, let's do this. <clears throat> Whoosh! Like Nova, he is unconscious on a med bait. And speaking of the... Uh, Easy for you to I'm say. in my head. <laughs> Not really, obviously. Don't, don't look at him. He's fine. Don't look at him. <laughs> Proclaiming them as new kids on the block and crutch boy. <laughs> I'm so proud of that one. <laughs> Damn. I was going to ask, are we allowed to laugh at each other's jokes in the thing? Or are we supposed oh, to read yeah. it from time okay, to time? Right, yeah. yeah. We occasionally, yeah, we stop and take okay. little well, giggles. What's, what's Rick can cut them out. I don't we can always breaking. put them in the end thing. I don't, I don't even mean breaking, but I'm just oh, no. really giggling no, where you guys are going. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah no, we've go for laughed it. at stuff. Okay. It's fine. Uh, yeah, the best is when I put something in there at the last minute, and Jeff's reading it, and he's just like, well, wait a minute, that wasn't there before. Yeah, no, this is new. Whoosh! <laughs> With yellow boots and gloves, check. Red arms and legs, check. Firebase powers, check. I like the fact you got the... the the action figure up there to really sell it of, of Firestorm. I, I, I didn't really come up like, I gotta get a picture, gotta get yeah, a picture. Yeah, that's good. Whoosh! <laughs> <clears throat> Answer Julie. <clears throat> this is what I think of I, you, I like monster. That. It's actually... <clears throat> but anyway. <clears throat> yeah, I know. I, I was reading it phonetically, and then I realized it was a, it was a raspberry, and so I gotcha. switched it midway through. <laughs> phonetically would be... <laughs> Whoosh! And hey, as luck would have it, there's a safe Thursday's event. And hey, whoosh! Frankie explains that this MacGuffin is the stimulator, and it is. Let's get all our other giggles out at the same time. Such an unfortunate name. Such an unfortunate name. Whoosh! It was kind of funny. You said that, and your and the the connection just kind of froze. This was <laughs> no, it didn't freeze. That's how I say his name, like everyone would who isn't insane. <laughs> Look up in the sky. It's Galactus. It sounds like he's driving a motorcycle down a long street. Whoosh! And I hope uh, when the spark showed up, there was a whole lot of. You got the touch. Dun, dun, yeah. I think dun, we might have made that joke. I'm pretty you sure. got the power. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of jokes, though, 